You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. So this morning we begin a brand new series in Romans chapter 8. For some of you, this will be like your first dive into this theologically rich book, which many theologians would say that this book is the greatest book in all of Scripture. And more than that, chapter 8 is the greatest chapter in the greatest book of Romans. Many people would describe it almost like a king wearing a ring, and the ring is Romans, and the jewel inside that ring is Romans chapter 8. It is a rich book. I remember the first time reading through it 34 years ago, Seems like a lifetime ago, I guess because it was a lifetime ago, when I was a brand new believer, reading that book, the book of Romans, and feeling so helped by it, so encouraged by it. Even then, Romans 8 stood out to me as such a great gift, such an encouragement to my heart. It is uh, the chapter of chapters for the believer. In the previous, I'm going to tell you why, in the previous seven chapters of Romans, the Holy Spirit is mentioned one time in Romans 5, 5. Do you know how many times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Romans 8? 21 times. 21 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Romans chapter 8. He is the third person of the triune Godhead. We almost feel uncomfortable with uh, the Holy Spirit in some circles. You're either in this moment thinking, man, this is going to be so encouraging. I can't wait to hear more about the Holy Spirit. Or you're thinking, oh, gosh, where are we going? Like, what in the world are we about to get into when it comes to uh, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the triune God? He is our comforter. He is our teacher. He is our strength. He is uh, our teacher. He is our friend. And to know him not as an it not as a force, but as a person who is ready to guide you, encourage you, direct you, comfort you. This is an enormous gift. And I'm afraid that for much of many Christians' lives, they don't understand who the Holy Spirit is and what he does and what he leads us into. In fact, many of you have heard the story about the Aggie who uh, was talking with his friends from up north, maybe around the Denton area, and he, uh, he heard from these wise people about how if he'd buy a chainsaw, a chainsaw would help him be much more effective, much more productive in cutting down trees and clearing brush. And so he went out to Ice Hardware and got himself a chainsaw. And three days later, he came in absolutely beleaguered, angry, blisters on his hands and he put the chainsaw on the counter and said this darn thing doesn't work at all I want my money back and the store owner looks and says well let me see it and he takes the chainsaw and he fires it up and gives it a few revs and the Aggie says what's that noise now listen I think that it's entirely possible that you are living in frustration with your Christian life. Many people do. And the reason you're frustrated is you are living like a streetwise orphan. 
You are self-reliant. You have not understood the promise of God in Jesus Christ and the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth and strengthens you and convicts you and you are exhausted and you're frustrated and you feel lonely. And part of the reason you feel that is that you have not understood the gospel or the power of the Spirit who wants to speak to you this morning. Now listen, somebody told me this a long time ago, and it has stuck with me, that the way you listen to a sermon is like this. You listen for the statement or statements that God wants to hold close to your heart this morning. There will be something that God wants to say to you that is particularly for you at this season of your life. Maybe this has been a long season for you. Maybe you're coming into something. There is a truth in this passage that God wants particularly to lay hold of you this morning. And you need his help to hear his voice, to soften your heart. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we bow in front of you. We confess, Lord God, that we live a lot of our lives as if it was all dependent upon us that the things you've called us to are within our reach, living a holy life, living a disciplined life, living a godly life. We've acted as though if we just tried harder, we could make that happen. It's so discouraging to realize, Lord, that we aren't able to do that and we're not going to be able to do that. It leads us to a, a place of defeat Oh, but Lord, blessed is the storm that throws me into the rock of ages. Many of my brothers and sisters here, the beloved church of Jesus Christ, they are exhausted quietly, weary, discouraged. I pray, God, that you would empower them to hear your voice this morning, that you would empower me to preach, Lord, because what, even what I'm here doing, it's just beyond me to do it. But if you will give me your words, your thoughts, and help me to preach what is here in Romans 8, Lord God, you can work great transformation in our hearts. So I'm asking you, God, to do that. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Romans chapter 8, we're going to go 11 verses into it. I promise to get you out by 3 o'clock this afternoon. Listen to these words. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however... 
You are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not live in the Spirit of Christ, or pardon me, does not have the Spirit of Christ, does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life, uh, uh, pardon me, the Spirit is life because of righteousness, and the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. The very first statement in Romans chapter 8 verse 1 is worth pausing and looking at and soaking in for a moment. Hear it again. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's, it's almost as if you're sitting on top of a mountain peak and you don't want to just get up there and shake your head and go, wow, this is beautiful, and head back down. It's time to pause. It's time to soak. It's time to enjoy and let the implications of this massive theological statement settle in on your soul. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, I just want you to rest with this for a moment and think about the fact that this is uniquely Christian. Right now, as you sit, not some future version of you, not some well-put-together, matured version of you, right now, as you sit, right here at this moment, now there is no condemnation for you if you're in Christ Jesus. This is an incredible thought. I don't have to be afraid. I am safe. I am now, as I stand here, safe. No longer having to perform for God or having to hide from God or myself or anybody else because in Christ Jesus there is now no condemnation because of Jesus Christ. If you're a good Muslim, you've got some work to do. You've got the five pillars of Islam. If you're a Hindu, you've got countless laws to try to follow. In fact, if you are a Mormon, you've got to, after all that you can do, he saves. Okay, so that's no rest whatsoever. In Christ, we have safety. We have rest. We have deep exhale of our soul. This is good news. This is the kind of thing that allows you to say, that sounds too good to be true. It's because we've lived for so long like streetwise orphans, as I mentioned before, where all we're, we're used to is some kind of give and take, where we have to do and we have to perform, we have to guard, we have to do all of this stuff. No, Paul says, in light of what I've just said in the previous seven chapters, in light of what Jesus has done for us, there's no condemnation for you. That is a great and wonderful truth. Many years ago, when my kids had come home from Africa, I don't know why I preached the week I got home, but I was fired up and ready to preach. And so on uh, the Saturday night before um, preaching that Sunday coming home, we were in Office Max or Office Depot, whichever one it was, and one of my kids was being really loud, and I 
like a great ding dong. Just like you're being so loud, we can't be that loud inside a public place. And I thought, oh gosh, yeah, there, there's a great example. And I felt like the world's worst dad in that moment because I'm shouting about be quiet, you know. And it, you know, it just hit me like the look on one of my daughter's faces was. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to displease you in that way. And, and I remember just being like, I'm sorry. One, I'm being much louder than anybody in this room right now. And, and you, you know, and I remember getting up to preach the next morning and I almost just couldn't. I, I, I just felt condemned, if you want to say it that way. To be honest with you, I felt like it, here was the thought going through my mind. Who am I to get up here and proclaim all this about God and his goodness and his kindness. Look at, look at the way I acted at Office Depot the other night, or last night. And Michael Collins at the time, he goes, hey, man, are you okay? And I was like, ah, I got to tell you, man, I, 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 I blew it. Like, I really, I just yelled at my kids in, in Office Depot. I had this feeling like someone's going to YouTube it and, like, watch out for this dad. He's, like, you know, yelling at people. <laughs> I don't know what it was. But I, he goes, hey, can I just tell you something you already know? And I said, yeah, and he goes, your ability to get up here and preach has nothing to do with how well you performed. It's true. Whether you have lived up to this, Jesus has. So get up there and tell people what's true because God wants to give comfort to you and to them. So preach what's true. God, I was like, oh yeah, I forgot. Like, you know, here's the struggle that many of you have when I say this out of Romans 8, is you start thinking, that sounds great, but I know me. I know how much I continually screw up. And so I feel condemned. Some of you quietly, privately right now, you're remembering a pattern of sin or a particular sin in your life, and it makes you want to push this statement away. You're struggling with your sin. Well, guess what? I've got good news for you. In the previous chapter, Romans chapter 7, listen to the Apostle Paul, who we'd all agree is a solid Christian guy. Well, I think we can agree on that. Listen to what he said in chapter 7. He said, For I do not understand my own actions. I I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do... What I do not want, I agree with the law, that it, the law is good. And so now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want to do and uh, is, is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So if I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil is close at hand, for I delight to do the law of God in my inner being, but I see in the members in my members of my body another law waging war against that law of my mind, making me a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now here's the good news. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve this law of sin. Do you hear what he's saying? 
I feel condemned by the sin I keep committing. Who's going to set me free from this? Jesus Christ. And it's such good news that this struggle is a real Christian struggle as well, that we have these sins in our life that we are releasing and letting go of and turning away from, and yet we still need a Savior. Until we come home, we need His ongoing grace to keep calling us unto Himself and reminding us over and over again that in Christ there's no condemnation for you. And that's really, really good news. Well, before I tell you how that happened, legally, if you want to say it that way, how did that happen? Before I do that, let me just remind you of this. You're safe. You don't have to be afraid of death. Because death is just the doorway into everlasting life, right? It's just a a graduation into the new chapter, You don't have to be afraid of disappointing God. He's not going to look at you and go, wow, if I'd known you were going to act like this, I wouldn't have saved you. Like you're not on a perpetual first date with God and and, and eating at Spaghetti Warehouse, right? Like you're like, oh, man, this is going to go terribly as soon as he sees me splashing this all over my white shirt. No, you are not on probation You're not just accepted. Accepted would be one word we could use. You are treasured and cherished by God. You are forever welcomed. Okay? No condemnation. He doesn't give you a bunch of laws and say, save yourself. He gives you a Savior and says, it is finished. Now, I know that that's a hard one to lay hold of, but here's the honest truth. You are forgiven and righteous. In Christ. So how did he do that? Like how did, how did that happen? And how do I untangle from this way of thinking that has me continually feeling like I'm failing and I need to try harder? Well, there's the verses that follow. Listen to this. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous required of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So let's stop and just let me introduce a term that some of you have heard and some of you have not. It's a $3 word called uh, atonement and substitutionary atonement, right? And so this is a theological term that is of the highest order of importance in our lives. It's the idea that Jesus came, took our place as our substitute, and atoned for our sin. He sent his son in the likeness of flesh, meaning he came down on Christmas Day and he became like us puncturable, touchable, huggable, all of those things. Jesus came in the flesh and he did what the law could not do because it was weakened by our flesh. He saved us by his son's merit and by his son's sacrifice. Now it's an important thing for us to get our arms around this substitutionary atonement It frees us. If I were to take a rock 
in my hand and hold it up right here and release it, there is nobody in this room that wonders what happens next, right? We know that it will fall. Nobody's going, I don't know. I mean, I know it always does before, but maybe, maybe the law of gravity will not work this time. There is nobody that really believes that. We are confident that the law of gravity would take this unsupported rock and bring it down to the ground with all certainty every single time. The law of gravity would be at work on the rock. Well, guess what? Sin begets death every single time. Remember in the Garden of Eden, we've, we know this story, right? That, that God said, you shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the day that you eat from it. What? You will surely die. This sin will bring about death. You can count on it. Like the law of gravity, it will work every time. Sin will beget death. You can count on that. Now, what does the serpent say to them? In chapter 3, he says, no, 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 you can sin and you surely won't die. He's been saying the same thing to every generation since then. You can sin and get away with it. Sin will not beget death. Well, this passage shows us that sin always begets death. And that in Christ, we have one who would taste death for all of us. That rather than my death, his death. Rather than eternal punishment for me, an eternal sacrifice in him. He gave his life on a cross because of my sin, because of your sin. And he took our place. And this is the great gift that other denominations that are dying won't preach. That every cult denies or that every other uh, religion in the world will not have anything like it. It's called substitutionary atonement, where we have not a set of rules, but a Savior. He did what we could not do. He saved us. And then the outworking of that is what? It's life and peace. You guys know the story of Horatio Spafford. This is the man who was an attorney who owned lots of property in Chicago. And this man wrote a song that we know very well. It is well with my soul. He wrote this song after he had lost an enormous amount of his real estate holdings in Chicago in the Chicago fire. It was like 1871. He was going to go with his wife and his four daughters, age nine, or pardon me, 11, nine, five, and two. He was going to go with them because they were friends of D.L. Moody, and he was preaching over in Scotland, and he was going to go, he and his family, over to be a part of those revival meetings. And at the last moment, he could not go. Because of some dealing with some, uh, some of his uh, law firm, he couldn't go. So he sent his wife and his daughters ahead saying, I'll be there in a week. A week after you get there, I'll get there. Well, 
Maybe you know the story that they, were, they collided with another vessel and 263 people died in the middle of the Atlantic, including his four daughters. They found his wife barely alive, clinging to some wreckage, and they brought her by herself all the way into England. And she sent this telegram, saved alone. And so as he was on his way to meet her and comfort her, the captain of the ship that he was on said, came into his room and said, I think we've reached the place where the ships collided and I wanted you to know so that you could have a moment to reflect. And see, as he peered over the side of that boat, thinking about his daughters and the terrible collision and the, the terrible chaos of that wreck and the tragedy of that, that's when God spoke to him and said, you know, it's still well with you because of Jesus Christ. And this was the important thing that I found in this. He says, when peace like a river attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, so whether it's peace like a river, things going the way I want them to, or when sorrows are just pounding on me, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And then he goes on and he says, though Satan should buffet through trials, though, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and he has shed his own uh, blood for my soul. Now here's the important line too that I just so love. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not the part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Now, why does that matter so much? Because this is what he was wrestling with. I am a Christian man who has sinned a lot. Maybe my children are at the bottom of this ocean as a punishment for my sin, for the wretched life I've lived. The accusation that he would somehow be at fault because he wasn't who he ought to be. His sin was the reason. God was punishing. God was looking at him like, come on, knucklehead. Come on. I mean, you know, you're not living the way you ought to. And he said, no, wait a minute. My sin, not just part of it like previous sins, but every sin I've ever committed is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Now, this is a beautiful thought. For some of you who did today, you sit here and you're convinced that God must be frustrated with you. You've believed in Jesus Christ and you've never lived up to it. Come on. You've got you to get on your bike and ride a little bit. There's no peace in that. There's only continual work. When you understand that Jesus has bled and died for not the part of your sin, but for all of it, he atoned for it. That's why Paul says this. He says, For those who live according to the flesh, they set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who set their mind on the Spirit, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. And listen to this. For those who set their mind on the flesh, it's death. But for those who set their mind on the Spirit, it's life and peace. It's like this, oh, God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die in my place. 
Thank you that he took my place. He is a substitute for me. And because he has died for me, I'm going to set my mind on him. Now, there is this thing that if you haven't lived up in the Midwest, you don't know about this. But at about October 31st, you know that you're in trouble because that's about the first night it's going to dip down into the 20s. And you find yourself going, this is impossible. Like, this can't happen. The opposite of that happens here with the heat that we're about to experience. But there's this thing they have out in Illinois that I kind of miss it now. They have these things, fire pits, that people put out in their front driveway. And I learned early on, you got to do layers. You got to layer up. And then you got to do this rotisserie thing, right? So you draw near to the fire when it gets dips down really low like that. And you got to be layered up. And then you've got to rotate because you want to give your body the chance to get warmed up as it goes, right? That's what you do. Well, guess what? As you walk in Christ, guess what the word of God and worshiping God and the church are like? Setting your mind and your attention on him, on the things of God, on the gospel and how it plays out in your life. And you hear it from others in something called gospel community. It is like drawing near to that fire pit and being warmed by it with a group that also is shivering cold. And you're sharing laughter, you're sharing the warmth, you're sharing the story, you're sharing all of that together. You're focused on the life of Christ. And as he lives in you and in them, there is a warmth that you draw near to. I'm starting to wonder if in July 10th that this is the right illustration. But I think you get where I'm going with this, right? I am burdened by God in a, in, a, in a wonderful way to keep watch over your souls. It's my job. It's what he's called me to do, is to tend to your soul, to shepherd you into this. This is what Michael Collins and I are doing together at this point. Is We're, we're called to keep watch over your soul. That's why I'm going to continually call you, come back to this gospel message. Put your hands near it. Put your heart near it. Stay near it. Don't wander off for six, seven weeks at a time. We're going, where are they at? You know, you're going to feel almost like, why why is Robert like calling or emailing or texting me? Well, it's because I love you and he loves you. And I don't want to see you out there wandering in the blackness and the darkness fixed on the things of the world, that inner Las Vegas that lives in you, that wants to pull you away from this beautiful, warm fire that God has called you to, called the church and the Spirit of God living in you and in them, your gospel community, all around you, just to draw you into the life of Christ. I I was thinking about my second trip to Ghana uh, when I was going over to meet the kids and we went to this orphanage that we were just naive enough to think that everything was fine and everything was good. And that's not true. We found out later on. But as I would go there, you, you sit down in a chair in this courtyard and you're going to get surrounded by kids that want to, you know, sit on your lap, pull your hair, whatever. Well, 
you know, you know what I'm saying? They, they, well, they want to be near you. And I remember this one little girl continually, if I sat down in the courtyard, she was three years old, she would come up, she was going to plop down right in my lap, and she was going to fall asleep. I mean, and it's, you know, it's gone a hot. I mean, and I was like, oh, why, why does this little girl continually find me if I'm sitting down, plop down in my lap and fall asleep? You know why she did that? She felt safe when she hardly ever felt safe. She found me plopped down and couldn't help but fall asleep because when she was there, when she was sitting on my lap, she felt safe and she never felt safe anywhere else. So she'd fall asleep. Friends, do you hear this? Come now, draw near to this. Part of the reason you're exhausted is because you don't feel safe. You don't believe that God is who he said he is. You feel like God is judging you. You feel like people are judging you. You feel like you have to perform. You have to be on. You have to be good. You have to do this. You have to do that. And you feel like you're failing. It's because you have not heard and you've not been enjoying the good news that in Christ there's no condemnation for you. Christ has taken your place. Set your mind on him and find life and peace. Find the deep exhale that is yours, who are a child of God now. And then you can rest. Then you can exhale. And you can breathe deeply of the finished work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. Now listen to this. Those who set their minds on the flesh are hostile to God, and they can't submit to God's law. And says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now listen, it's, it's, a, it's a challenging thing for me because I, I don't believe, I think our citizenship in heaven is so much higher than our citizenship here. And so I, I'm, I'm careful to ever speak on anything that sounds political because I believe that the gospel runs downhill into these places. And so, but, but you can see this, right? That we're a nation that has sawed off the limb we were sitting on, the goodness, of, the truth of God, and now we're adrift, hostile to, we live in a nation that's hostile to God. If you were to engage in any of the water cooler discussions and your thought was this, what does the word of God say? And I'm going to say that, you'll be met with hostility. Real, true hostility. If you go to certain churches and you sit in the elder room meeting and discussions and you say, before we make a decision about anything, what does the word of God say? You'll be met with hostility. Right? Because those who are fixed on the flesh, those things that are measurable, those things that are touchable, those things that you can quantify and celebrate, um, as success, but they don't line up with the word of God, you're going to be met with hostility if you try to go towards the word of God. He says, you, however, are not, verse 9, in the flesh, but you are in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Now here's a very definitive statement. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is, this is an important truth for us to recognize. This third person of the triune Godhead, 
the Spirit of God, when you confess that you are an utter failure who cannot save yourself, that you need God to forgive you based on Jesus and his merit and his work and his sacrifice, when you confess, God, you're holy and I'm a sinner and my only hope is Jesus, help me, fix me, he saves you. In that very moment, you are brought from darkness into life in light. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit is dwelling in you. Rebirth precedes repentance. I don't know if you know this, and we'll get further into this as we go. Rebirth precedes faith. God quickens you by his Holy Spirit to feel the sense of God's holiness, to feel the sense of your lostness. God quickens you by his Spirit to believe in the good news of Jesus Christ. You can't do that because Ephesians 1 says you were dead in trespasses and sin, but God through his grace made you alive in Christ. Now that means the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He lives inside of you. He's sealed inside of you. There's no such thing as a Christian without the Spirit living in him. Now, you may be going, hang on a second. I've read the book of Acts. Okay, well, listen, that's a transitionary time that we haven't seen since the first century in a very brief window, okay? The apostles, as they followed Jesus, were not yet filled with the Spirit. And so we're, we're looking at this time since Pentecost until now. If you are a Christian, it's because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And he is a person who can be grieved or quenched. That's uh, 1 Thess 5 and Ephesians 4 that speak about him having emotion, will, intellect. And he lives inside of you to call you into himself. Right? And that's what we see here. If the Spirit of Christ is not in you, then you are not a believer. If you are a believer, the Spirit of Christ is in you. It says in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, we all experience that. We see that, that our bodies physically are giving out, but our bodies also long for the sin patterns we used to walk in. We see that, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. This, let's go back to the poor brother from College Station. Just didn't understand it, didn't have any teaching, didn't understand how the Holy Spirit works and lives inside of you. Listen, Martin Lloyd-Jones is the one that spoke about the Holy Spirit with a shyness that the Spirit of God lives in you, that has power to overcome temptation. Every single person in this room faces temptation. Some ask God for help. Some ask the Spirit of God living in them to overcome. Some of you face addictions. A friend of mine in uh, the Source Church in Illinois he confessed one time to the men's group. He goes, guys, I just, I don't, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I've been chewing my nails since I was a kid. I do it as a nervous habit. I sure like to quit doing this. He just prayed. We all prayed together, and God just delivered him from that. And he was celebrating that he quit chewing his nails. He'd been chewing since he was 13 years old. Listen, there is not a temptation that you're facing that the Holy Spirit doesn't have the power to free you from. 
There's not a way of thinking that can hold you hostage when the truth of God comes to you in the power of the Spirit. You will walk away that very same day from that addiction, from that brokenness, when he speaks truth to you. He has the power to raise Christ from the dead and to overcome all the brokenness in your life, all the loneliness in your life. And he's ready and willing to do that. Why would we live in exhaustion, depletion? Why would we do that when we have a good comforter, a counselor, a guide, a teacher, a strength giver to empower us to live the Christian life? Well, we wouldn't. We wouldn't if we knew the truth. We'd sit down with him every day and eat and, and enjoy and soak and, and find rest and peace for our weary souls. Do you know that's why we take communion every week here? We just want you to go right back to it. We want you to go back to that table and be reminded again that, yes, you have sin that is ongoing as a pattern in your life that God is calling you away from. How are you going to be right with God? It's not by defeating that sin pattern. It's by believing in Jesus Christ again. Well, I've already believed in him. Believe in him again. Keep on believing in him. Keep coming back to the place where you started, that Christ died as a substitute for me. See, that's much better than me just trying harder. Those of you who are trying really hard and just failing all the time, you know what you're like? You're, you're like somebody laying on the deck of a sailboat in a very still, peaceful ocean, and you're blowing. Why am I not going anywhere? Blow harder. <laughs> okay, you're not going to go anywhere, but when God blows on that sail, it will take off. You will take off. That's what he does as the Spirit of God begins to open up your heart to understand the gospel. Let's pray.